Welcome to Chosen Conversations, a format where several friends share some ideas with each other about what they see in the Chosen episode, how they hear the story of Jesus through this great dramatic presentation that is a, a gift to the church and a gift to people across the world. So tonight we want to have a conversation about Chosen Season 3, particularly Episodes 1 and 2. And tonight we have joining us Ed and Latanya Anderson, new conversation partner. And Ed and Latanya, welcome. We're glad you're here. Would you mind sharing something about yourself, please? Absolutely. Uh, we're just so thankful that we can be a part of these conversations and honored also. Uh, I'm Ed Anderson, originally from Chicago, but recently uh, Florida resident, and I'm loving it. <laughs> Um, but uh, had a few years of ministry and still in ministry. But ultimately, I'm I'm so uh, uh, encouraged by the chosen series, uh, season, season three. I know it, it's it, it's been powerful. It's been very impactful. I know that lives are being transformed and empowered based upon uh, just the content and things that are being shared. And so I'm I'm honored to be able to have these conversations with with uh, you guys and my wife. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Uh, as my husband said, we're uh, originally from Chicago and down here in the state of Florida. Uh, one of the things that we do now, we work in the mental health field as uh, pastoral care at a residential mental health facility. And what we've seen the Chosen series do for those patients that have come in has been transformative because one of the main things that they believe is that the Lord doesn't love them. And what they get to see through the Chosen series is the gentleness of the Savior that he really does love them. And it helps them during their their process uh, through their healing journey. So we're so excited to be here with you all to have these conversations. Well, we're excited for you to be here. This is uh, a blessing for me. I met the Andersons in 2021 in Jacksonville, Florida, and we've just stayed in contact over the years. And uh, we're excited to have you join us for season three of Chosen Conversations. And, um, you know, we're coming up on season four, coming out in the theaters. So we'll uh, we'll quickly get these five episodes done for season three, and then we'll be caught up to what everybody out there in the Chosen Land is excited for with um, with all of that new content coming. But tonight we're going to be talking about the Sermon on the Mount. Um, you know, it ended season two where... The whole crescendo of that season built up to Jesus coming out to give his sermon. And then, unfortunately, for a lot of people, it was sort of a little bit of a cliffhanger. Um, they were they wanted to hear that sermon. And then we went into season three, episode one, and the sermon does take place. But John Mark, it, uh, it takes place, but it kind of takes place in the background. It's not really word for word, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's just we hear echoes of 5, 6, and 7, and it's a more dramatized um, and kind of snippet version of the Sermon on the Mount. So take us into our first uh, first concept about that. Yeah, a good way of describing it, Stan. Uh, what they do with the sermon is not just kind of read the sermon 5 through 7 to everybody, right? But there's this interplay, the dynamic of the words that are being spoken— and the people who are receiving it. 
So the words are being applied to the disciples and to those who hear it. So, for example, Matthew. Matthew clings on to this notion of being reconciled. If you're going to worship God, you have to be reconciled to your brother or reconciled to your family or reconciled to those that you have animosity with. And when he hears that, he hears it in his own situation, his own context, where he has this barrier between his parents and himself. So he immediately recognizes, and you can see the the worry that he has or the anxiety that he has. I've got to do something about this. I have to seek out my parents. I don't have a place to stay, and I gave my house away. So what am I going to do? And I need to find my parents so I can participate in this story of Jesus. The story that Jesus is telling us is about reconciliation. And yet I'm living in a a tension-filled relationship, separation from my parents, and I need to address that. And so the sermon calls Matthew into becoming a peacemaker, a reconciler with his parents. And then there are others who are hearing the sermon as well, like... um, like the rabbi, Shemuel, Shemuel, right? The rabbi Shemuel, who is in season one, one of the opponents of Jesus. But now having heard the sermon, he is impressed. He hears this not as the words of a rabbi, but as someone who speaks with their own authority. And his and he's beginning to make a turn here. And he begins to write down the story of Jesus, not to indict him with the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem, but as a record of the good things that Jesus is saying and doing. So those are two hearers, and maybe you have someone that someone else who is hearing, or maybe you want to add to that story of Matthew or, or Shemel. It was interesting to me to see uh, Simon to sell it. You know, he's recently joined Jesus's disciples, and when Jesus gets to uh, the part of the sermon where he's telling him to turn the other cheek. And this is very, you could see it's the wrestle within himself because he's been taught to fight and to defend uh, his people. And Jesus is giving him what seems like a very contradictory uh, lesson on how I feel with those that I do not agree with. And so you could see mm-hmm. even his inner struggle. That's good. Yeah, that's an excellent point. Excellent point. Go ahead, brother. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I was going to agree with you. And, and then also in reference to um, the whole um, dialogue and conversation as far as Matthew, those internal conversations and those other conversations that he had with some of the other disciples in reference to uh, forgiveness and and if there's all, if there's an issue uh, you know, I kind of sort of look at the very beginning of that uh, scene. They're they're focused in on Matthew and just showing his emotion and how it's affecting him to hear what Jesus is saying. So in his mind, he's processing this thing. He's like, you know what? I I, I know this is something that I have to do. And then you know, kind of sort of spoiler alert. You know, fast forward to the very end. Yet the very first scene is is on Matthew and his emotion. And then the very last scene of episode one is again Matthew and his emotion as he finally goes back to parents and has the conversation with his, his dad. And I guess in his mind, 
you know, it, it wasn't about how his dad was going to respond because you hear him say he calls his father by his name. He doesn't say dad. He calls him by his name because if you remember, um, his, his dad had told him that, you know, he had, he no longer had a son and they were going to shiver, um, and, and as if his son was dead. And so, uh, the fact that when he spoke to his father and, and greeted his father by calling him by his first name and his father's response was, uh, a greeting also, but he called him son. And that just broke Matthew. So the very beginning saying Matthew was broken, listening to what Jesus has to say, the very last thing Matthew was broken when he goes and, and reconnects and tries to uh, reconcile with his father and his father accepts it. And so I thought that was powerful. Yeah. Well, I, that is, I'm not, I'm not usually like this, but I, I went on a little bit of the dark side, I guess, uh, while I was listening to you guys and you, you took me back into the scene. I, I had two, three really different characters come up. I remember Gaius and Atticus and Atticus yeah. asking Gaius, so what'd you think? And he said something to the effect of, it's not like anything I've ever heard before. I don't, you know, he, he's pro you can see him processing it kind of saying, I don't see a problem with this man. I, I I like the things I'm hearing him say. He's telling people to love one another. He's he's talking about peaceful things, not any type of uprising. Um, and then the other character was Judas. You know, we we just got in, we just get introduced to him, and now we have all the apostles, all twelve, finally identified as as human being actors for us in the series. And the the sermon causes him to walk away from his mentor, the guy he's kind of been protégéing underneath, you know, the guy who's going to help him with the business deals and got him the, got him the land for the sermon to, to be a, a go-ahead, to have all the people and whatever. And he sees him, and he just kind of says, goodbye, I'm going to go follow this man that I've just heard the sermon right. from. And the guy can't, he can't believe it. He's kind of like, what's gotten into you? Um, and he wants to say something, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but he says something kind of crazy, like, if you do this, you know, I'll sue him or something, or we might yeah. use that word. And he just kind of laughs at him and says, yeah, you you have a good life. And he just walks off and follows Jesus. So, yeah, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah, you can see Judas leaving what he knows. He's going to leave his house, going to leave his plant. <laughs> He's leaving everything behind to follow Jesus. Just, just like, just like Matthew did, right? Matthew did the same thing for everything, and yet there's a there's a difference between Matthew and Judas, even in these early scenes. And trying to put my finger on it, we'll probably hear more about it in, in in the episode season four. But putting trying to put our finger on, okay, what is that difference between Matthew and Judas? Matthew, Matthew wants distance between himself and money. He, he, he wants to kind of just reject that way of life and not have anything to do with money. Even when they're sitting in the circle and say, who's going to take care of the money? You know, Matthew says, not me. But Julius says, right. oh, you sure you want me to do that? Oh, I'm honored. You know, he wants to be that. He thinks that's what his talent is. And so we see neither one of those things are necessarily bad, but we do see kind of an orientation that each has, and that Judas's interest is more ambitious. I'm like, Rhonda, you used that word. You used that word previously, Tanya. Ambitious rather than kind of submissive to the agenda of Jesus that Matthew seems to have. 
Yeah, because for Matthew, uh, his desire to work as a tax collector, it brought so much pain and dishonor to his family. And so he wants to disassociate from it as much as possible. No, I'll just serve. Let somebody else do it. Because he saw the repercussions of being ambitious. I don't know if he would classify Judas as being ambitious, but definitely he, he himself, he's identified as being ambitious because he wanted more. He wanted to be known. Uh, and so for now, he's happy in the place he's in following Jesus. And let me learn everything that I need to learn in this path and let somebody else worry about the money. Because for too many years, I've been the one handling the money. And it's not always turned out for my best interest for those that I love's best interest as well. Well, Ed, I, I apologize for the rhyme. It's not really uh, intended to be a song lyric. But while you guys were talking, it seems like Matthew has a hole that he's trying to fill and heal and Judas has a goal that he's trying to yeah. pursue. Yeah, that's a good way of putting and, it. And I was going to say too, um, uh, Brother Stan, that um, you can see um, Judas's heart. Not Judas. I'm sorry, Matthew's heart. Uh, Matthew is is he's he's leading with his heart, and he's he's desiring certain things to happen based upon how it's affecting his heart. So I know uh, Brother John Mark had mentioned, you know, there's a difference between Matthew and Judas and what's that difference. And I, I think part of it is that we can truly see Matthew's heart in the situation um, compared to Judas's heart. Yeah, I think also the fact that they they have this character, Matthew, on the on the spectrum, the autistic spectrum. And so a lot of emotions he's just learning to step into because they've been very foreign to him. And so when he has a goal, which he is to serve, that's the goal because I'm learning a lot. Cause there's even a point where, you know, he leaves the sermon on the mouth. They've been dispersed. He comes to uh, Mary's house and um, she validates that he's not feeling. And he appreciates that she sees, I really am trying. All of this is new. Yeah. Uh, you can see that struggle in, in Matthew of, of being accepted. You know, there's conflict about him in the group. And when he says, he says to his parents, I have a friend. <laughs> Philip is my friend. I have a friend. Now, that, is, that, is, that is quite revealing, right? That's how he's feeling. And you see, you see a courage in Matthew. The courage that in relationship to his his physical condition, whatever that may be, is the courage of being in a group that didn't really want him, the courage of dealing with his feelings, and the courage to act on that. He hears the sermon, he hears the word of the Lord, and instead of just sitting with it, instead of just rejecting it, he soaks it in and says, I gotta change. I have to do something about this. And why? I think that's just really powerful. If the Sermon on the Mountain is not just some kind of idealistic, okay, here's the goal. Nobody's going to be able to do it, but here's the goal. What happens in this episode of The Chosen is the Sermon on the Mount is preached, and people are hearing it and saying, I got to change. 
I have to do things differently. Absolutely. And that, that, that's true for me too. When I hear that sermon, I got, I got to think about, okay, what should change about me? You know, I wonder too, John Mark, as you were talking, there's a little bit of a nod, I think, from the writers that uh, Matthew, you know, helped Jesus at the end of season two, write the beginning of, of the sermon. And as he's listening to it, I think there's a nod, there's a, there's a nonverbal nod from Jesus to Matthew of appreciation, of thanking him for helping him with rearranging the content and not starting off so, so heavy, as they said, at the end of season two. And maybe that's another reason that it so quickly sinks into Matthew, is that he's been thinking about it for a while, even before he heard it. Yeah. Well, there's another character that... Oh, go ahead. You have more to say. No, I said I think so. Because he's yeah. Very, he's critical in his thinking, uh, and he's trying to make it make sense. Like, I hear it. How do I apply it? How does it, how is it applicable to my life? And I got to step into an area that I've not had to step into um, because his life was a lonely life. And now he's, he's having to embrace all of this all at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. Thank you, Latonya, for that. That's good. But I think of, a, of another character, if I can bring up someone else, Andrew. Andrew here, this sermon, especially about, you know, God's going to take care of you. You don't have to worry. Uh, seek first the kingdom of God. And Andrew takes all that in, but he is a worry warp, right? I mean, he is filled with fear, especially fear for his friend, John the Baptist. And, and so when he goes to see John the Baptist, he, he comes out of that fear. And he's so afraid for what's going to happen to him. And he remembers the sermon. You know, John says, what did Jesus tell you? And he remembers the yeah. sermon about, well, don't be anxious, don't be afraid, have have faith, trust in the kingdom of God. And Andrew's trying to take that in and struggle with his own fears and anxieties. And it's just such a powerful thing to see the sermon being played out in the lives of people as kind of an illustration of what we're supposed to be doing to hear this sermon and let it sink into our hearts and let it play out in our lives. But you know what? You just did it again. You took me back into that scene, and I was sitting here thinking about when the sermon was over. We, we've kind of hit all around this. When the sermon was over and Judas comes up, and he doesn't realize all the rest of the apostles are behind him. And he's talking to Jesus, and he says he wants to— Jesus says, follow me, and he and basically says, you know, we'll see how, how that goes. Can you do tough things? Jesus asks him. He says, yes. He says, we'll see. The next person we meet that John Martin just made me think of is Jonah, because she's who takes Andrew to see John the Baptist. And they're a little, they're a little um, apprehensive about Joanna because of her wealth, and they're not quite sure who she is, and they're not quite sure what her, her intentions are. But boy, uh, Andrew's ready to go when he finds out that he can, he can go talk to John. Yeah, the ladies they were, they were really were apprehensive of taking her gift, because I think they know that there will be some level of persecution that comes not just for Jesus but also for those who follow him, and they would be apprehensive if you're new to join. 
I believe they were able to accept Judas a little bit better because it was Jesus introducing him to the group. And so if Jesus is introducing an individual to the group, they got to be okay. Uh, Joanna, they were like, Ashley, her husband serves at Harris Court. What is this about? I know she's here, but what is that about? Yeah. Yeah, there's there's his father. Go ahead, Ed. Go ahead, Ed. I'm sorry. Oh, another spy, go. I was just going to say it wasn't until they found out that she she was actually with John the Baptist and had a mess before they were willing to accept her. Uh, very interesting. I was just going to comment on what Latanya said about um, the way the disciples are always having to try to, or they think they are supposed to protect Jesus. Yeah. I, I mean, that, that's kind of amazing after all the miracles they've seen that they think. Oh, we gotta handle this. We gotta control this, you know. And yeah. um, I mean, we treat Jesus like that too, don't we? I mean, we kind of put Jesus in a box and we try to control who Jesus is. And we don't give him freedom to be Jesus. And right. I think the disciples are learning how to do that. They're they're learning what it means to follow Jesus rather than uh, live in fear, protecting him controlling him i mean we see it we see it in the gospel it's not in not in the episodes we're watching but when jesus deals with children right and the disciples want to protect you from the children <laughs> not only from joanna but from the children so that is it's not um, that's a, that's a he's headed towards uh his trial that we know that they probably hear for the first time there are 12 legions of angels that are waiting for his word. So he really didn't need an earthly security detail. Right. Oh, but you, but you but know what's interesting. But, but you know what's interesting while you guys are all saying that, I mean, this is just amazing how this is, is going tonight. There's something stirring here. Um, that, I think that's where we come up to John Mark's point about we do the same thing. I think that's where we come up with the my Jesus term. Let me introduce you to my Jesus. Do you know my Jesus? As if mine's different from yours. But it's that protection thing. It's that he's, I gotta, I gotta hold him close and protect him because he's mine. And I wonder if that's kind of a little bit of what was happening there too. Yeah. Especially for those kids on first, because you really see the protective nature of Peter um, with wherever Jesus is concerned. You also see it come out when Jesus does give Andrew like the go ahead to go and see John the Baptist uh, because he's also wanting to get ready to go. And he says, no, Jesus said I could go. So, you know, go home. You have a wife to take care of. Yeah. You know, if That's I a touching sign. Go for it. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. So there, there's an old um, game that the kids used to play back in Chicago. It's a, a rope game, you know, where they would do jump rope, and it's called Double Dutch. And so you're, <laughs> you're all yeah. trying to jump in. <laughs> yeah. uh, the only thing I wanted to bring out was to go slightly go back a little bit to the whole anxiety piece and how um, listening to Jesus um, minister about anxiety and how it was affecting um, um, Andrew 
Um, and then knowing, like my wife had mentioned, where we are right now as far as the ministry that God has us uh, to be a part of right now, and we know that a lot of people who are believers are coming into uh, the facility that we're at, and they're dealing with issues of anxiety, uh, anxiety for many different reasons. And sometimes the anxiety is coming from their, their families. It's to to hear um, it, it be um, uh, it's, 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 it's theater, it's, it's theatrics in some, in some forms as far as what we're seeing with the chosen. However, it's still effective. Uh, and so for Jesus to hear Jesus say, you know, don't be anxious for anything. You know, just just pretty much relax and trust me. That that part that really stood out to me too. It really was um, meaningful for. Me. Well, that's really important important point. And think about um, anxiety and the mental health issues that are in our country at the moment. I mean, and anxiety is one of those major ones. Living in fear, uh, it paralyzes you. It, it destroys you like a cancer from the inside. Or, or or even resentment, what resentment does to us. Um, and that's why I appreciate also Andrew going to Mary Magdalene yes. and seeking reconciliation, seeking forgiveness, and apologizing to Mary, which was intriguing that Mary said, nobody's ever done that before. Absolutely. Yeah, and that really is a symptom, symptom of human relationships that we hurt each other and we and we don't ever apologize. We don't we don't seek the forgiveness. We don't seek the restoration. We don't seek the wholeness, because maybe we're afraid, or because maybe we don't care. Whatever it is, Andrew was touched by the sermon to say, "I need to go apologize to Mary Magdalene." Yeah. Now, here's what's also interesting with Mary, uh, her perspective uh, on doing life with other people. Is, has been so destructive and toxic that she didn't even see what he did as offensive because she was so accustomed to whatever they said. That's what she, she just dealt with it. Um, no one has ever done that for me before. They thought enough because she had forgotten about it. But insults may have been the order of her day. We get used we get used to toxicity, don't we? And we think that's just the way the world is, and we have to deal with it. But but that that's where the power of Jesus comes in, right? Power of Jesus is this sermon that says you can. This is transformational. You don't have to live life like this. You don't have to live life with anxiety. You don't have to live life with resentment. You don't have to live life with a sense of separation from others you can seek reconciliation that's what those beatitudes were about right how to live a life that's blessed a life that is filled with goodness and flourishing so the trend you know that i think that's one of the great things about this these two episodes in season three is that they give us a way of seeing into how that sermon can transform lives and that transformation is available for us if we will hear the word of the Lord and seek Jesus in that word and seek seek to act on what Jesus said. I mean, none of that happened without them acting, right? They had to act on it. Uh, yeah. Matthew had to go see his parents. Andrew had to go to Mary. They had to act on it. And that, tells, that just shows us a path 
This can be our life too. We can have these sorts of relationships and we can be transformed just as Jesus imagines in the sermon. I love that, John Mark. And you made me think about that scene in the jail when Joanna takes uh, Andrew over there. And it's John the Baptist that convinces Andrew that he doesn't need to worry about John and he needs to do exactly what he heard Jesus say. So John doesn't even hear the Sermon on the Mount, but he can. But from what Andrew conveys to him, he tells Andrew, "Go do that. He's your he's your yeah. rabbi now. He's who you should be listening to. You don't need to worry about me." So that's exactly what you just said. That's what we're supposed to do, too. Well, I think our time is about up. But I want to give everybody a, a chance to have a final word or a, a, something you want to share here at the end as we start to wrap this up. So does anybody have a word they want to share? Well, I think it was uh, it was exciting to see that although there was a crowd, what the what the directors chose to focus in was how it changed that message changed the ones who would walk with Jesus the closest, uh, not those at a distance because preferably the ones at a distance, they heard it and their lives were transformed, but to actually begin to see the transformation of those he called to follow him and how they had to apply that, especially with being in close proximity with the master. So that they would be actually lift out what he had shared in that message. Um, just, just you know, contemplating and thinking about uh, that it wasn't by happenstance or chance that uh, I think it was very strategic that Jesus uh, ministered about the, you know the Sermon on the Mount about the Beatitudes before the disciples were sent out. Um, it wasn't, he sent them out, then, you know, he came, they came back and then he preached. It was, it was very strategic. And I believe because he wanted them to share that message as they were going out, because these are, these are ways that you can live your life by, and this is how you should be living your life. And it's part of what the kingdom message is. And so I, I think it was very strategic, very strategic. Wow. That's good. Thank you. I'll I'll just succinctly say that we've hit on a couple of touch points that are interesting, and that is growing up, um, I think the Sermon on the Mount was explained to me as utopia and that, you know, it really, it's not really to be taken that seriously because it can't happen until Jesus returns. But as has been mentioned, the the courage of Matthew and the closeness that Latanya talked about of the followers who are going to follow him the closest are going to actually try to do those principles from the Sermon on the Mount. I think it is... Uh, real and i don't think it i don't think you are uh, an idealist just because you believe that it could actually more of the kingdom can come now um and and quit explaining it away as to why it's not possible and this is the life of discipleship you want to be a disciple and you want to be a follower of jesus these are the principles these are the basic principles and as the disciples heard it they said whoa am i going to follow that i gotta change uh, or Simon, you know, as you mentioned, uh, Simon the Zealot, hearing, oh, you know, don't return evil for evil. What, whoa, what, 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 what was that again? Um, you sure we want to do that? <laughs> and then the soldiers who listening to it, like, well, I never heard anything like that before. Um, so, yeah, powerful. Thank you all. I mean, this has been a great conversation, and I'm very appreciative. And so let me end with a blessing. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit 
be with us all. Amen.